Um, all right, as we uh, go along tonight, uh, we're going to talk about strengthening doctrine. Once again, we talked about it kind of big picture this morning, and want to unpack it a little bit more uh, as we, we go down. Uh, if you think through, um, once again, this is normally kind of, this, if you think of, uh, normally if you think of someone who is like a really good in doctrine, a lot of times, uh, sometimes they're not the most engaging, unfortunately. Uh, that, that can be a problem, and so sometimes it seems like that really studying something, uh, the Word of God, can somewhat seem like it's this academic exercise versus a devotional practice. And so I want to kind of remove that thought tonight. Um, it was a few years ago, I was going to speak at a youth camp. Uh, I normally do about two weeks a summer uh, with centrifuge camps. And uh, one of the uh, weeks I was there, get, was getting my microphone on, getting ready, the service was about to start. This guy came up to me and found out later he was one of the youth pastors there and brought his kids he doesn't know me, I don't know him, he just sees me as a guy putting the microphone on and so assumes I'm the pastor. And he looks at me and goes, so which one are you going to be? I said, I don't know, which one are you talking about? He goes, he said, there's only two kinds of preachers that come to these things. I said, what's that? He said, the really good doctrinal guys who are really solid, solid in their understanding and are boring as all get out. Or they're the really engaging, funny guys that my students love to listen to, but then i got to go fix all their theology, what they said in the sermon, after the fact. Which one are you going to be? And I said, well, hopefully neither, okay? Because here, here's the deal, right? Is that I believe that if you're really understanding and we're really diving into what God's Word says, it should not be boring, okay, at all. It should be something that should be invigorating for us as we think through uh, and to look. Um, so as we, we go through this process, once again, just, just remember, as, as we've gone through this, the, these kind of six categories that we're looking at um, tonight, let me make sure all this is going on here. Um, that'll work better. We started out. Uh, we started out talking about delight and uh, about Christ in you, the hope of glory, and making sure that there was that key thing that you want to delight in Jesus more than anything else. Second category is disobedience, warning everyone against those sinful things. Tonight we're going to talk about doctrine, teaching everyone with all wisdom. Next week we talk about development, present everyone mature in Christ. What's those specific areas that you need to develop uh, right now? Uh, number five, discipline for this I toil. What's the next spiritual discipline that you need to put into your uh, tool belt and start working on? And then number six, dependence, struggling with all his energy. What are we praying for and just asking God to do with the power that he works so mightily with us? So as we talk through tonight, strengthening doctrine, in a minute we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2. So you can go ahead and turn there. And in this opening paragraph, you see this uh, um, it's kind of description of what we'll go through tonight. It says, are you confident in the fundamentals of your faith? And maybe the better question is, do you believe what you believe? Okay, so there's a lot of things that as a Bible-believing Christian, you kind of are supposed to go along with the territory of what you believe. Now the question is, do you actually believe it? Um, as a follower of Jesus, you have a set of doctrinal beliefs that come along with the territory. Biblical Christianity is blatant on topics in which the culture will struggle to accept. In session four of Distinctive Discipleship, we are going to hone in on one to two doctrinal concepts that you need to study next. And so, um, if you think about the need that we have to do this, uh, you see in this next section that says, Consider, I have a picture there of a systematic theology textbook by a guy by the name of Wayne Grudem. That looks like a big book, does it not? It has 1,291 pages to it. 1,291 pages uh, to it. To have words that I cannot spell in it, like propitiation and uh, justification, all, all these huge words that are in it. Let me just tell you, it's a wonderful book. And most guys who, and gals who go through seminary, 
some point they're going to take this book up. Now, does that seem a little overwhelming to anybody? Yeah. If it is, and I know that your Bible um, probably has about the same amount of pages, but if it's thicker than the Bible, okay, if it's got a great longer commentary than what is actually in the Bible, you're going to wait a minute here, okay? Like, what all is this? But in this, it sort of describes as Wayne Grudem is a Christian professor and author. Many seminary professors utilize his systematic theology textbook in many settings. At 1,291 pages, it is a comprehensive volume. Due to its size, he also summarized the content into a 528-page book called Bible Doctrine. So if you're feeling bad about the, that one, just go down. It's only 528 pages, folks, okay? Now, he learned something else, that if that content is still too inaccessible, he developed a 159-page condensed form in a book called Christian Beliefs. Uh, so some of you are like, now we're getting a little bit closer, right? Okay, so we got a 1,200-page uh, volume. We got a 500 and 100-something-page volume. It says, while all three books cover the main topics, they vary in the degree of the specific content. If you had to choose one of those textbooks to describe your current understanding of biblical doctrine, which one would you use to describe yourself? Okay, so there's a little rating there for you. If we got a small, medium, uh, and a large textbook size, so you can do this if you're bold enough to do this. You're not going to have to turn this paper in or show it to anybody. But if you had to mark yourself on that line over there underneath it, Say, you know what, if I were to describe where I am right now, I'm probably closer to the, the small textbook size, or the medium, or the large. Some of you might say, I'm off the left side of the page. Or some of you might be off of the right side of the page, right? But I want you to kind of just circle kind of maybe where you would consider yourself right now in your understanding. And, and so and then what I want us to do, um, if you look at the underneath that, what are the positive reasons for why you are where you are? And why would you say that you aren't further along by this point in your life? Here's what I would love to do, just is make sure that everybody's engaged and we're getting there thinking through some of these topics. What I would love for you to do is around your table really quick. Um, the, we can't spend like everybody having like a long testimony of this, but you might want to answer one or, or two of those questions. You might say, well, one of the reasons why I am where I am today, I had parents who taught me the word, or I've been in church for most of my life, or I, I did this, whatever. That might be something. Or you might decide you want to answer that second question that says, you know what? I'm not further along at this point in my life because I didn't have parents who did this, or I was lazy and didn't work Okay, <laughs> at, at learning this, whatever it might be. But just around your table, if you want to kind of really quick to say, hey, here's kind of where I am, and here's maybe either a good reason of why I am where I am, or maybe here's a reason why I'm not where I should be. So on your mark, get set, and go. All right, as you were sharing around your table, um, I think probably dependent upon uh, your personality, some of you were eager to share, like, hey, here's some positive reasons for why I am where I am. You're going, you know what, I'm in a pretty good spot. I would imagine there's a lot of you that are more negative. You had the option to sort of take one of those paths, and you were like, well, I should be this, or I should be that, and I, and I get that. Um, but I also want to make sure that everybody goes, um, you may not be where you want to be, but you're probably not as bad as you could be. And, and I, want, I want, really want to encourage everybody there because I think a lot of times we can really get down on ourselves and I should be this, I should be that. God's a lot more concerned in your future than he is your past, okay? Uh, I, I think he really wants you to say, okay, this, it, I mean, one of, the, one of the, the most reoccurring statements we have at our house is, it is what it is. You, you can't change it right now. It, this is where we are, right? It, it's, it's, it's Sunday, September 8, 2019. You can't press rewind. It is what it is. It doesn't have to be where it stays, though. You can make some progress 
in this area. And so um, what are you going to do to really start uh, unpacking um, the need to really understand what, what gospel truth is in your life? If you're there in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, we're going to look at this passage of Scripture together. Um, all right, let me uh, ask you, who do you think wrote the book of 2 Timothy? And by the way, it's not Timothy. Who was it? Anybody know? Paul. Uh, Paul wrote this to Timothy, his son of the faith, who he had discipled, right? Uh, most people, uh, most commentators would believe this was Paul's last letter that he ever wrote. Last one, okay? Um, just so you know, the, the letters in the New Testament, they're not written in order. or They're, they're, not, they're not archived, they're in order. So they're or, ar- archived kind of longest to the shortest. But 2 Timothy is most likely his last one. In fact, if you read through it, it sounds like it because he says this kind of stuff like, listen, I... I fought the fight, you run the race, I'm, I'm seeing the end of it, son, better keep doing this. And it's almost like, I'm not going to be around to do this, so you better continue. I pass this torch on to you, Timothy. But one of the things that he really lands in on, I think it's important for us to, to talk about once again, is that workman, uh, I kept using that, that statement today, but look at chapter 2, verse 14. It says, Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Now, does that uh, fit anyhow the context of church, anybody? (laughs) Don't quarrel about words. Titus chapter 3, verse 8, Paul says to Titus this way, Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strifes and disputes about the law. They are unprofitable and worthless. Now, some of you are like, but that's what I love to talk about. Exactly. Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, strifes, and disputes about the law because they're unprofitable and worthless. There are a lot of people who love to major in the minors, right? They just love to get focused on the stuff and, and get all torn up about it. He says, look, don't quarrel about those things. It only uh, ruins the hearers. Verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And so what you even look down that, that next question there, where it says, what does it mean to be approved by God when it comes to handling Scripture? I want you to think through for a second that question. If we look at verse 15, do your best to present yourself to one, one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. What do you think it does mean? And this is honest, I, I'm going to... I'm going to throw this question out there, and I know we're all in a large room here, but I want some people to give me some responses here. What does it mean to be approved by God when it comes to handling Scripture? Because obviously he's not looking for perfection here, is he? He's not saying you got to know absolutely everything, but what do you think it means to be approved by God? Somebody? Yeah. Know the gospel message, know the basic stuff, right? Great. What else did you say? Yeah, got to love God. There should be a genuine love for this. And to that, that would really turn to, well, if I love God, I want to read the letter that he sent to me, right? I I want to know this. Great, what else? They need to see Christ in you. Great, somebody else. There's a couple. How to speak the truth. Great, yes, Haskell. Yeah, so paid heed to it, obey, Ricky. Yeah, being able to receive what he says. I think that's great. I think all this stuff is, is hitting right on it. And it's saying, look, what does it mean to be approved by God when it comes to handling Scripture? 
you need to be at a place, once again, Paul said at Timothy, do your best. He does not say do your pastor's best. Do Wayne Grudem's best. Do your mama's best. Do your friend's best. Now, here's, here's what I'm going to push in. Some of us have seen somebody that knows the Bible really well, and it intimidates us, and we just go, well, there's no hope for me, and I, I, I'm not going to be able to know it to that level. And you just say, so therefore, I'm not going to try. Well, that's, that's one extreme that you got to watch out for. The other extreme can also speak to some of us in this room. You feel like because you have more Bible knowledge than some of the people in your family, you are like a Bible scholar with an honorary doctorate degree, and having more Bible information than some of the people in your family might not be that noteworthy of a goal. Does that make sense? That, that's not that impressive right now to do. So, so on one end, I want you to be careful that you don't look at and say, well, that person has all this knowledge. Um, so I went to... Um, Obviously, I went, I went to Bible College at North Greenville. I got a couple degrees from Southern Seminary. Um, and at every level, whenever I was in my education, I was always around people who made me feel dumb. Not intentionally, but they just knew so much stuff. They have forgotten more Bible than I've ever known. Okay, like they'll just sit there and they'll start, you know, popping out all that stuff. And I'm going, wait, how did you know that? And I'm just trying to fly to go by. And I would just always feel like, I, I don't know the Bible. And something will happen. Either it will inspire you to know it more or it intimidate you and you just want to quit, right? So sometimes I'm around people and they go, man, that's so inspiring. And so I'd get there and going, okay, I'm never going to know how much this guy knows. And they'll know all this information. And then you get around another professor and go, oh, my goodness gracious, they know so much more. Then uh, I got around my seminary president. It's a guy by the name of Al Moeller. Uh, Al Moeller, I believe he's a computer. I don't think he's real. I think he is an actual robot uh, with a photographic memory, with encyclopedias that he's downloaded in his brain, and he does not forget anything, anything. They let you tour his uh, downstairs library at his house, and it is overwhelming because you start walking through these halls of books, and you go, man, this is an impressive library, and then you realize that those are the books he's reading this year. He normally reads about 14 sizable volumes per week. And I go, does he not sleep? Not that very much. He just he doesn't require a whole lot of sleep. He reads and he retains information like an absolute machine. It's quite frightening, quite frightening. And so you, you'll sometimes, you know, I was getting this degree and that degree, and I'm like, I think I'm arrived. And then you have a conversation and you go, I am an absolute moron. Who I, just, I, I don't even know how, any, I, I, I shouldn't even be here, right? You have a conversation. I've had like one serious conversation with a man uh, there at a graduation reception, and he says, hey, what, what are you graduating with? I said, oh, I'm graduating uh, from the Billy Graham School here with a, a doctorate of ministry. He goes, oh, what was your, your, pro your doctoral project on? I said, oh, I was only equipping parents to evangelize and disciple their children. And he goes, were you the guy that had a concussion during your oral defense? And I was like, actually, I was. Yeah, I had a wreck on the way to seminary, had a concussion, went to the doctoral defense. He goes, that's a first for us. Congratulations. Like, somehow, he had remembered that piece of information. We never met. And, and I, I will say now, like, if I ran into him, I don't think he would remember me. He probably does. He doesn't forget anything. He just has this ability to connect all this information and do this. And sometimes I can go, I'm never going to know the word like President Moeller would know. But here's the thing. Paul didn't tell Timothy to do Moeller's best. He said, do your best, Timothy. He's not calling me to do Dr. Moeller's best. He's saying, do your best. It was funny because we were talking to a friend who's getting ready to go to seminary, and I was telling uh, our friend Adiola, I said, well, you know, Adiola, you know, your president, Dr. Moeller, blah, 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 he'll do this. And little Gloria pipes up. She goes, well, my president is my daddy. Okay, like that's the way she looked at it. And so I, I felt really good, you know, in this moment. But, but here's the thing. You can look at what somebody else has known. You can look at that systematic theology textbook, and you go, that's overwhelming. I don't have that. You don't have to have that. Do your best. 
Some of you say, it's a real struggle for me to remember information. Do your best. Do your best. Now, could some of us probably be working a little bit harder than we have? Yeah, I think so. Um, and some of us probably beating ourselves up a little bit too much, so be careful there. But I think it means to be approved by God when it comes to handling Scripture. I think God knows what our best is. How many of you had that child that you felt like wasn't working hard enough in school? You ever had that, that situation? And it wasn't the fact that they were getting B's or C's or D's. It wasn't that you wanted them to be this or that. You just knew it wasn't their what? wasn't their best. I know you got, you got more in you. I know that you can do more. And so it's not about a thing about you got to always do this. It's are you doing your best? He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Here's the picture. I want to be able to stand before God and to say that the way that I communicate God's word, the way that I understand God's word, I'm not ashamed one day when he goes, boy, you've been pointing people in the wrong direction here. <laughs> like, I want to be able to say, I'm unashamed standing before you. I did my best. I did my best. I'm not perfect at it, God. I don't have the mind of this guy or that guy or that lady or whatever. I, I don't have that mind, but I did my best. So the question is, are we doing our best? Look at verse 16. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Oh, my goodness. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now, a lot, a lot of great stuff there, you, but you may not know those two names. I really don't know a whole lot about those two names, but I get this about them. It says they were swerving from the truth, right? Guess what? You never swerve towards the truth. You always swerve away from it. It's always a, a, a gentle kind of moving away from it. Over time, you kind of find out that you're swerving away from the truth. And this is what's happening in that culture, in that church right now. And he says, be very, very careful. And their talk spreads like gangrene. It, it's, it's gross, it's defiling, and it, and it spreads. And here's the thing, a lot of times, that some of our, our misunderstood doctrines a lot of time is, let's just be honest, Right now, a lot of you feel a lot of pressure from people in your life and this culture to bend on certain things that you think the Bible is very clear on. You know what the Bible says about certain issues, but because you know someone who thinks differently or feels differently, you feel this tendency to want to, well, maybe God will make an allowance. Maybe he will. And you go, you, you feel that pull. You swerve from the truth. That's what he says these people are doing. Now, I want you to even go down. Um, while we're just look at a few other verses here in this um, book that he's leaving Timothy with, if you go down to chapter um, 3, chapter 3, let's go down to verse 16. I actually go down to verse 15. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. How many of you have somebody in your life that when you were young, they were at least exposing you to God's word? right? A lot of you would say, I did. Some of you were like, I was not thankful for it at the time, right? But they were exposing it to you, and you go, okay. He says, Timothy, you had this at an early time. You were acquainted with the sacred writings. Verse 16, all scripture is breathed out. It's inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for how many good works? All good work, every good work, however it says. So, let me ask you this. Is there any good work that God has called us to that he has not presented to us how to do it in Scripture? No. 
every good work is presented on how to do it. Are there certain questions I would love to have asked? Sure. It's not necessarily good work I need to know. Uh, if I want to come down to it, does God teach me what it means to be a man of faith, a man of purity, a man who loves my wife, a man who shepherds my children, who loves a congregation? Is that in God's word? You better believe it's there. It's clear enough. It's absolutely clear. So it, all those things, it makes us complete. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Now, let me just stop right there for a second. Some of y'all go, well, pastor, I hope you heard that word. You need to be ready in season and out of season, okay? Um, but also, I want you to understand this. Um, you may not consider yourself a preacher, but the word preach just means you're proclaiming God's word, okay? That's what it means, so some of you haven't realized this. You have preached Jesus in a heart-to-heart conversation with somebody before. You may not have been behind a pulpit to do it. You may not have had a microphone on you, but you have preached God's word. And it says, be ready in season and out of season. What does that mean? I think in season looks like this. You're supposed to teach the Bible study to your group, and you know what's coming up next Sunday, right? That's in season. You know it's there. I know next Sunday what i got to be preaching on in the passage. I know that's in season. Guess what's happening? There's going to be an opportunity tomorrow, some point tomorrow, for I think every single one of us to stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. It's out of season, though. You don't know what it is. No one's warning you. No one's coming up to you and saying, you need to know this. And here's what I want everybody to think. There's going to be an opportunity probably for you tomorrow, and you're not expecting it. It's not on the calendar, but you don't know what they're going to ask, okay? And are you ready? And he says, Timothy, you need to be ready in season and out of season, no matter what comes up. Can I just tell you one of the most scariest things that happens as a pastor? Someone says, Pastor, can I, can I come in for counseling? Can we talk? I go, yeah. And I kind of want to say, what are we going to talk about? I just, I, I, I kind of want to prep, you know, like, because if you ask me something I don't have an answer for, I would at least have warning and I could have been preparing, right? But a lot of times it's like, they come in, I'm thinking, I bet you it's going to be this, and it's not. I'm going, what do you want me to do? I'm going, uh, I'm just cycling through my mind, Lord, and I'm asking, Holy Spirit, just send me to a word. It happened this afternoon. I, Lord, I, I don't know why this person's coming in to talk to me. Will you direct me? Well, guess what? The Spirit's going to bring out word but it's got to be deposited in there somewhere. You've had, to, you've had to put it in and dig in and say, I've got it there. And so what happens is my, um, my roommate and I in college, when we got to that place where we were so fed up that we did not know God's word better than we should, we'd grown up in church, we were at a Bible college now, and we just felt like we did not know God's word. We, we sort of made a pact we were going to start doing. We were going to start memorizing scripture and understanding the truths of God's word. And so we actually started doing some competitions at night, getting ready to fall asleep, and I would say, can't have your Bible on you, and I'm going to start asking you a question, and you're going to tell me what God's Word says. And we just started going at each other. And we get harder as the semesters would go on. Oh, yeah? What if somebody came up to you and they asked you this? Like, where would you go to, right? And just sharpening our skills because I wanted to say, when I'm out of season, right, when I'm, when I'm not prepared necessarily, help me be prepared. Be ready. In season and out of season. Hey, look what he says. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Those are some deep words, but reprove is just sort of, you know, correct them, change them a little bit. Rebuke is you're wrong, exhort, let me teach you what to do. With complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. That time, by the way, is called 2019, if you weren't aware, okay? The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears... 
They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Let me, let me put this down for you this way. You know that person in your life that will always tell you the truth no matter what's going on. And you know how you've avoided them at certain points in your life? Because you knew if you said, here's what's going on, they were going to say, let me tell you, buddy, this is what's up. And they're going to tell you what you need to do. And so what do you do? If you know that person's going to tell you what you need to hear, you go find somebody who will tell you what you want to hear. If, if, if you know there are those people in your life going to tell you what you need to hear and you don't want to hear it, you go find somebody who will tell you what you want to hear. Um, uh, I'll give you an example through this that a lot of times a couple will start talking about how they've fallen out of love and that they're going through, they're thinking about divorce. And you know what you normally find out? You start digging a little bit. There can be all kinds of issues, all kinds of struggles. But then you start unpacking this and you find out that somewhere along the way, somebody in that person's life is filling their ears and going into their heads that marriage is nothing but a ball and chain. It's miserable and you need to get yourself free from it. And they start hearing that. Start hearing it all the time, and it starts changing their perspective. They hear it all the time, and so then all of a sudden they go, you know what, marriage is hard. Maybe I do need to free myself from it. And they're going to surround themselves not with people who say, you got a covenant before God and that person. You don't give this up. They're going to find somebody, guess what, who's going to sympathize with them and have never, ever told them they're wrong. Some people call that a mama, right? Okay, so for some of you. Some of you say, no, my mama, she always would tell me where I was wrong, okay? But here's the thing. You know those people. You have itching ears. You want to hear from them and say, I know who to go to that's going to make me feel better about the path that I've chosen. But this is not what they've asked us to do. He says, look, same thing's going to happen in theology. You're going to find yourself not able to endure sound teaching, and so you're going to go find a preacher that's going to say what you want to say. Can I ask you, are those preachers out there today? Man, they're out there. They are out there so much. They want to tell you. You're not the problem. Your desire is not the problem. Your struggle is not the problem. It's everybody else's issue. And what you need to do is realize this. Some, some preachers will say, if you have this desire, that's from God. You just got to act on it. You got that desire? That's God-given. Can anybody ever think of a time in your life where you had a desire that may not have been God-given? <laughs> Maybe a few today, possibly. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that one didn't come from God, Okay. So, so can we trust every leaning that we have? No, we can't trust every leaning we have. We, we also live in a time in 2019 where people are not enduring sound teaching. They're having itching ears that will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Can I just tell you that one of the most dangerous messages out there is this. God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and prosper and never wants any bad thing to happen in your life. One of the most dangerous things out there. And some of you, to be honest with you, I can start naming preachers, and you go, I love him. I love her. And you know what? They might be good. They might be wolves in sheep clothing, too. you got to be really, really careful there, because if people are selling you a religion that is Jesus plus anything else, you better be careful there. Because especially if they are telling you, if you follow Jesus, he's going to bless your bank account, you're never going to get sick, and everything you've ever wanted is going to come your way, guess who you're not following? You're not following Jesus. You're following yourself. You're following your own advancement, and this is what's so dangerous. So um, not, not to harp on this, this too much here, but obviously th th this is a, a serious issue for a lot of people. Um, I've known a lot of folks that have, have bought into a type of theology, and, and once again, kind of the label that they put on it is called prosperity theology, where it's health, wealth, and prosper. If you just believe this and have enough faith, you're never going to have a problem in your life. Here's my problem with that. So if you just are pure enough and have enough faith, nothing bad is going to happen in your life. Well, what happened to Jesus? 
You telling me he didn't have enough faith? What about the Apostle Paul? I asked God three times to take this thorn out of my flesh, and he said no every time I put it there. I allowed Satan to come in and put that there to humble you, boy. God, take it out. Does Paul, does Paul have enough faith? I hope so. If, he, if anybody's got faith, I would say Paul does. If anybody's got faith, I would say Jesus does. Two of the most righteous, noble men ever. Jesus is perfect. And did he, did he suffer? Yes. And was it for our betterment? Absolutely. And so we have to be careful of anybody who says, you never want any bad thing to happen in your life. And what happens a lot also right now is that there are a lot of people that are trapping people in our culture that says this, if you will just give this much money to my ministry, God's going to bless you. God's going to bless you. you got to invest here. And if you do, now listen, I know you don't have any bank. I know right now I know you're going to have to go into debt. But if you just do this step of faith, God, you have literally just strong-armed God. He's going to have to bless you. So you come forward. I have watched the preacher say, I don't want you to put it in the plate. I want you to come out and hand it to me right now. When you touch my hand, you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed by touching me. And I don't want any of this. I want $1,000 or $500 in the envelope. That's the only people I want coming up here right now. Watch the video clip of it. Now, what happens is that people that are down and out see that as a religious lottery ticket. If I do this, there's a chance, however the chances are, but there's a chance I might get rich. This disease might leave my body. I might have my family back. And then what happens if it doesn't happen? Preacher's safe. Preacher's safe. Why? You didn't have enough faith. Man, God wanted to do that for you, but you just didn't have enough faith to see it happen. You know what? If you'd have given a little bit more, prayed a little bit harder, maybe God would have done that, but you obviously didn't do it. Well, my fault. Well, God's fault. It's got to be yours. And so what happens is, let me just tell you, there are people that are literally asking for people to sell stuff they have. They can barely pay, make their rent payments so they can fund their private jets to go to different trips to go share the gospel. Now, folks, this is, I, I'm not making this up. Y'all realize that, right? This is out there. And I'm saying, I, I say this out of love. You've got to be really, really careful out there. Really careful that somebody can come in with some financially motivated desires and, and hook you in. And, and, and let me just tell you, some of y'all are just listening to me right now and go, that's the pastor. I guess i got to listen to what he has to say. If it doesn't come from the Word, don't listen to me. Fire me. Get a new one, okay? That's what you need to do. But if it comes down and someone is, is going against the word. Now, let me, let me just give you an example of, of how this is playing out, I think. Because look what it says in verse 4. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. They'll, learn, they'll leave listening to the truth and they'll wander off into myths. Are we in a culture right now, there's a lot of Christian stuff in myths? You better believe it. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Um, I, I want to I wanna share something with you. And our, um, <laughs> at the church on Friday, our entire phone line and internet, internet lines have just completely gone down. So we, we have no access to kind of information or, or whatnot as far as getting stuff until it gets fixed on Tuesday. So I was, I was hoping to have a video clip of this for you to watch, but instead I'm going to let you listen to it for a second. Uh, it kind of it went somewhat, I guess, public. A lot of people started sharing it this week. Um, but I, I want to to really sort of show uh, how this this lays out in our culture right now, and um, I, I have to be careful with with saying a lot of this stuff. Once again, speaking out of big picture, but I want to tell you about someone who came out last week and said, 
hey, I used to be a ringleader in this, and I want to repent of something. I have led people to give money to me based on faith, and I need to repent. And God has changed my theology. He's a guy by the name of Benny Hinn. I don't know if you've heard of the guy before. <laughs> you, you may have seen some of the things he's done. Some of you, I'm not going to be honest, some of you probably have watched him. You might have gone to some crusades. You might have even benefited from him. So I, I'm not here to throw stones, but here's what I'm saying. If you ever see somebody making people do certain practices that aren't in the Bible, be very, very careful. Well, here's the thing. So Benny Hinn, uh, I would say, is kind of the, the kingmaker of the prosperity gospel in the last 20 years in, in our culture. He has a nephew named Costi, his first name Costi Hinn, and he is a pastor who has written a book just exposing the prosperity gospel and the danger that's in there in the culture. Well, just recently, Benny Hinn was on a TBN uh, television show, and he comes out and says something that, and, and once again, I wish you could see the video of it, because the people who are behind it are like, mm-hmm, and all of a sudden he says something, they're like, uh, are we supposed to smile? But they don't know what to do, because it's so uncharacteristic of everything he's said in his entire ministry so far. Now, what's interesting was is that his nephew um, heard about it and said, let's just pray this is lasting fruit. Let's just pray. Sounds good. <laughs> I'm excited, but I'm not getting my hopes up too far. I want you, and what he's going to talk about, give you the context. Once again, he's, he's on TBN where he has said before to people, if you will put $1,000 in my hand, God is guaranteed he's going to bless you. Okay? So this is the context that when he starts talking, he's going to. So I'm just going to hold this up, the microphone, so you can hear it and hear from his words what's changing and, and praying, hopefully, that this will be the difference in him. And once again, you just need to look it up to see the expressions of the people in the back going, what in the world is happening? So here we go. So it's all about our brokenness, our old man. We call that the flesh must be broken, must be out of the way. And today, sadly, among a lot of circles, all you hear is how to build the flesh. It's a feel-good message. That's what you hear out there. It's all about feel good, do good, all that. Make money, all the rest of it. And I'm sorry to say that prosperity has gone a little crazy. And I'm correcting my own uh, uh, theology. And you need to all know it. Because when I read the Bible now, I don't see the Bible in the same eyes I saw the Bible 20 years ago. And Steve Strang from Charisma, whom we go back years, he actually, he was at my wedding. People don't even know that Charisma magazine began with my father-in-law. Charisma magazine started with Roy Harden, and I married his daughter. So Steve Strang was in, in my wedding. We go way back. And he's already asked me, said, are you ready to make it public? I said, well, not totally. Because I don't want to hurt my friends whom I love who believe things I don't believe anymore. And I will tell you now something that is, is going to shock you. I think it's an offense to the Lord. It's an offense to say, give $1,000. I think it's offense to the Holy Spirit to place a price on the gospel. I'm done with it. I will never again 
ask you to give a thousand or whatever amounts because I think the Holy Ghost is just fed up with it. Are you, did you hear me? I think that hurts the gospel. So I'm making this statement for the first time in my life. And frankly, I don't care what people think about me anymore. So I, I, I had a guy. Well, I'll tell you who. It was Dan Willis. And I, I, I love Dan with all my heart. I said, don't you dare preach that message again. Just a few days ago. I said, no, no. I said, when, when, I'm not going to hear it. I don't want to be a part of it. So I, when they invite me to telephones, I think they will not like me anymore. <laughs> because if you look at the word of God, I don't want to get into it now. Am I shocking you? Good. Let's have a high five on this one. If I hear one more time, break the back of debt with a thousand dollars, I'm going to rebuke them. I, I think that's buying the gospel. That's buying the blessing. That's grieving the Holy Spirit. That's about all I will say. If you are not giving because you love Jesus, don't bother giving. I think giving has become such a gimmick, it's making me sick to my stomach. And I've been sick for a while too. I just couldn't say it. And now the lid is off. I've had it. You know why? I don't want to get to heaven and be rebuked. No, I think it's time we say it like it is. The gospel is not for sale. And the blessings of God are not for sale. And miracles are not for sale. And prosperity is not for sale. Well, now, before you go out and buy all of his books and subscribe to all his podcasts, okay, his nephew said, let's just let's keep praying this is long-term fruit. Can, can you see the difference there with somebody? I, I really do pray that this is long-term effect saying, it used to be this, but I'm starting to see things in the Word that's changing my mind here. Like that, that's beautiful to me. That's breathtaking for a man, if he's legitimate, who has built his entire life around this teaching and going, that, it, it doesn't work anymore. Once again, it would be interesting to see how long this lasts, but I'm, I'm telling you, folks, it's so important for all of us to go, there are people out there that will tickle your ears and tell you what you want to hear. You don't need that. You need to know what God's Word says. Yes, sir, you got a question? That would be a great question, yeah. We'll give any of it back. A rich young ruler, you know, I mean, a Zacchaeus when he came in and said, let me pay out. That would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. But you, but you start talking about i tell you what happens, though. It's kind of like, uh, you know that time in your life when you had a lot of friends all doing the same thing, and then all of a sudden somebody said, I'm not doing this anymore? Everybody else goes, uh-oh. <laughs> this is going to cause an issue for me, right? I said, yeah. <laughs> Why not you? 
that's, that ain't a bad idea there. That's a good idea. So if anybody ever asks you to give so that God will bless you, just say, why don't we reverse this? Why don't you give to me and God will bless you? I, I like that plan there together. Um, turn on, on the back, that page there about disgust. But um, what I want you to do, do you, do you see why folks from the prosperity gospel to the culture wars that we're in, these are dangerous times and Satan comes disguised as an angel of light. He's not going to come in with a pitchfork and shiny tail going around like, oh, we see him coming. He's going to come in as an angel of light. Uh, it says, what type of understanding do you think would please God regardless of what size theology textbooks information is in your head? You have some level of biblical knowledge. Paul instructed Timothy to do his best so that he would not be ashamed. Regarding doctrine, where are you confident and where would you be embarrassed? Let's do a simple diagnostic test. So I want you to go to your Bible's table of contents. All right, go to your table of contents. It'll be one of the first pages you see in there. Some of y'all have done this activity with me. I love this activity. Table of contents starts off in Genesis, ends in Revelation. And there's uh, probably some books in there that you may not be as familiar with or you might have even forgotten were there, if we're honest, okay? So it says, go to your Bible's table of contents. With which Old Testament book are you the most familiar? Okay, so I want you to look at the Old Testament there, starting in Genesis all the way down to Malachi. Read through those really quick. Is there a book that you feel the most familiar with? If so, I want you to write that book down. Write that book down. Second question is, which Old Testament book have you had the least exposure? Which is one that either you would say, I didn't know that was there, I cannot pronounce that, or that downright frightens me, okay? And you can be honest to say, which one? <laughs> There's a lot in there. All right, really quick, just kind of popcorn answers. Number one, what are some of the Old Testament books you feel most comfortable with? Somebody give me one. Proverbs, Genesis, Psalms, 1st, 2nd Kings, Jonah, Job. All right, second question. Which Old Testament book have you had the least exposure? Obadiah, Ezekiel, Nahum. What's that? Yeah, Habakkuk. Yeah. Song of Solomon, Zephaniah, basically anything between Joel and Malachi, right, folks? Okay, let's just be honest. So that's where a lot of ours would come. Okay, so, so with that, uh, you might say there's some uh, least exposure. Number three, what is your most read New Testament book? Now I'll start in Matthew all the way down to Revelation. Which out of those would you say you have read the most, most familiar with? Matthew, Ephesians, what you say? Philippians, Ephesians, Mark. Good job, boy. All right. Number four, what, which New Testament book have you forgotten or ignored? I heard Revelation somewhere. Does anybody want to say amen to that? Okay. Okay. What else? Okay. Revelation there again. All right. Here's, here's what I want you to look at. When you look at the New Testament, right, there are Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, all narrative books, and then Romans through Jude are all kind of letters, and then Revelation once again. Everybody in this room, you either love Revelation or you are scared to death about it, okay? So, like, people either study it all the time or they never get there. So, now, this is helping us kind of understand where some, some areas are. I think probably in this room, there's probably some similar answers in some of this, but they're also different. Probably if you look at the person next to you, they're a little different. Um, 
Number five, here's a question for you. Is there a type of doctrinal debate that you seek to avoid because of controversy or confusion? Yes, sir. Okay, you avoid why did God why did God let Adam and Eve sin? Okay, that's a discussion some of us have had before. Great, you know what to ask Keith here in a little bit as soon as this is over with. Because she's joking. Okay, what what's another uh, doctrinal debate that you seek to avoid because of controversy or confusion? Eschatology, election, and not like who you vote for, by the way. Okay, yeah, baptism. Okay, what else? Once saved, always saved. Okay. So some good stuff here. So so what what take place? Like I'll be honest. Um, when when I was joking around this morning, but but you know if I, if I'm honest with you, when I got to North Greenville, they started using words that I never heard before, and some of them were in the Bible. I just never read them. We never got around to them, and some of them I don't think we talked about. Uh, I give you <laughs> give you a funny example. Uh, when I was doing my ordination council, so I was just out of college. Um, I'll never forget our campus minister from North Greenville came down to our church all serving, and he was a part of it. And he says, Travis, I just want to know what your beliefs are on the sacraments of the church. And I went, uh-huh. And I just thought, and I thought, and he says, there a problem? I said, I don't know what sacraments are. And he said, the baptism and the Lord's Supper. I was like, oh, well, yeah, I can talk to you about that. I just never heard the word sacraments ever before. In my case, like that, I'd never heard that phrase before. So then I start talking about it. I feel like I failed. I'm never going to be a pastor. He said, it's all good. But it's just a word I wasn't used to, right? So some of you, you might sometimes, uh, when, I, when I was in college, um, I loved reading the book of Romans until chapter 9. Chapter 9 hurt my head. God says he can do whatever he wants to. Did he not? Love Jacob and hate Esau? Doesn't he have the right to do that? Did he not raise Pharaoh up to bring him down? Who are you, old piece of clay, to look at the molder and say, you didn't make me the right way? God's sovereign to do whatever he wants to. That's, that's some meaty stuff to chew on right there. That's hard. So I just avoided it. Didn't want to think about it. And everybody else would ask me questions about this, about this, and I just wouldn't want to go there. I love chapter 8. I love chapter 10. I just didn't like chapter 9. The only problem is this. They're beside each other for a reason. <laughs> And there's not a bad side of God. And I, I, I got to study that. I've got to go in there. So, so with this, what happens, right, is that an evaluation piece, this is just kind of just to start you off on. As we mentioned, maybe there's a weak area that you'd say I'm not as familiar with, but maybe there's also a certain doctrine that you go, you know what, I kind of avoid this, or maybe I need to really unpack this and really think through it. As I stated this morning, I want to really encourage you, this is more than just you're curious about it, Right? This is, this is kind of an important stuff. This is critical for you to understand right now. So, yeah, it, it might be baptism. It might be eternal security. It, it might be an issue of God's sovereignty or, or the Holy Spirit or, or something like that that you would start going on. And so the next section where it says evaluate, um, and, and uh, what part of God's wisdom do you need to commit to studying next? So that, that's where we're going to go. In Colossians 1.28, Paul said that we need to teach everyone with all wisdom. So what part of God's wisdom do you need to commit to studying next? It might be a book of the Bible, or it could be that doctrinal stance of which you were unsure. While we all have numerous issues on which we could improve, now is the time to select one to two doctrinal weaknesses that you plan to strengthen. Okay, so let me give you an example. So let's just say that once again, I, I, I think I mentioned this with, with you guys last week a little bit about the doctrine that I'm really going to push in and really dig in this coming year is about Christ's second coming. 
I, I have a lot of belief about it. But there's, are you pre-millennial, post-millennial, post-trib, a-millennial, defib? I don't know. All the different things that are out there, right? I had a, a, one of my professors in, um, in uh, college would say, you know, are you a pre-millennialist or an amillennialist or a post-millennial? And he says, I am a pan-millennial. And I said, what's that? It's all going to pan out in the end anyway. That's the way he thought. And I'm going, I, I kind of like that. It's not, not a bad place to be, right? Um, and, and that's foundational, and I've had that. And if you were to ask me right now, Travis, what do you believe on that? I, I could give you that. But it's not something I, I naturally go to because it's always a hot topic issue and it gets people all up in arms. But I go, you know what, where I'm at in life right now, like that's really what I feel like I need to study next. I want to have a good, firm handling on what God's Word says about His second coming. And that doesn't mean in a few months I'm going to be able to tell you what date it is, by the way, okay? But that is me saying that I really want to study and, and to show myself approved. Now, let me just ask you this. If you were discipling me, okay, your job was you're discipling Travis, and I came to you and said the doctrinal issue I need to work on is the second coming of Christ. I want you to think through what are some things you would want to tell me to do? What are some things you would teach me? What are some things you would point me to? Okay, so this is, this is I want to do this as an example to sort of help you think through if I've got this issue, what would be the things that I would start doing? So if I told you I need to study the doctrine of the second coming, what are some things you would start telling me to do? Somebody. Okay, yeah, except Christ, yeah. First off, yeah, make sure I have salvation, right? I'm walking with Jesus. That's important. That's a good part, right? What else? Yeah, be humbled by it, right? And I think that's a good thing to be able to come in and say, God, I may not be able to understand all this. I'm coming at it from a humble perspective, but really go. What are some practical things you tell me then to start doing to learn this better? To really start unpacking this. Yeah. Yeah, do you think, you think there's a concordance or a Google search that says, show me every time in the Bible it talks about Christ coming? Yeah, start studying those passages. And then do what? Study them again because you didn't get it the first time. <laughs> and then study them again. What else would you tell somebody? Pray? Yep. That's right. Good advice. Pray that the Spirit would lead you to understanding and truth. What else? Yeah, talk to Pastor Gene. Let Pastor Gene show me the way. Um, you know, here's the thing. Um, as, as we were just talking about different people, I will not say this. Um, there's only one inspired book of God. There are a lot of inspiring books. There's one inspired book. There's a big difference, okay? One is breathed out by God. One is very encouraging for you. Here's the thing. Not every Christian book is created equal, Okay. You, you don't trust everything that's on a, got a Christian you know, a label on it. you got to be very, very careful there. But, but are there some good resources out there that will probably help you? Yeah. yeah. Be, be very good. In fact, um, I've already got two lined up for me to look through. And you know what it is? It's not, this is the way that it's got to be. It's, here's four perspectives on what it could be. And they're arguing with each other a little bit in a loving way. But here's what I believe. And somebody says, yeah, but what about this verse? And, uh, and it's back and forth. Let me just see it all. I'd, I'd rather just be at least aware and, and embrace what, I, what I'm understanding versus being blinded by what I want to hear. Make sense? So, so in this, same thing. If, if you had a different doctrine where you would study, you would start saying, where is every time in the Bible this is mentioned? Let me pray. Let me seek some counsel. Let me just talk through some stuff. You'd want to get to the place. I'll say this. Um, when I applied to, to teach at Lander University years ago, I wanted to teach Old Testament, New Testament, and they said, we got somebody covering that. Can you teach world religions? <laughs> uh, well, uh, yeah, sure I could. They said, have you ever had any exposures to other religions? Yep. Which ones? Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, Islam, Christianity. 
you've been exposed to all those? I didn't tell them I've been on mission trips trying to convert those people, but yes, I have had exposure. I've sat down with a monk here. I've sat down with the uh, imam there. Yeah, I've been involved in all that kind of stuff. They said, oh, you'd be perfect to teach it. Let me tell you what happens. There's a different thing than between sitting in a class on world religions and having to teach it. I mean, I, I started walking through going, I got to communicate this, and I, I, I barely, I started working hard. And let me tell you what happened. You start studying Hinduism. And then all of a sudden you realize this. Billions of people have accepted this as fact and have based their entire life on it. Travis Agnew, do you believe those people are going to hell? Now, let me tell you, that was a hard season for me. All these people that are well-intended Muslims and well-intended Buddhists and well-intended Jews that think they've got the truth. Travis, do you really believe that Jesus is the only way? Now, let me tell you, there were some hard moments where I, I felt in my own soul, Travis, you really going to go out and forth and say this? Can I just tell you on the other side of that, that struggle was worth it to get to the place where I am. It wasn't fun getting there. But let me tell you what I believe. There is no other way to heaven other than the person of Jesus Christ. There's no other way. And if I believed there was another way, you know what would happen? My evangelism would completely turn off. I would stop praying. I would stop sharing. I would stop going. And I'd just say, well, everybody's going to get there anyway. But what happened was I forced myself to struggle through those questions and those doubts and those concerns, and I came out the other side more stronger than ever, more sympathetic and sensitive to people who believe differently, but also better equipped to share the gospel with those people. And I'm saying this, in any area that is, you going through that hard tactic is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's a really good thing. So if you have that issue in your own life where you say, you know what, I'm not where I need to be, uh, that's okay. Struggle a little bit because here's what's happening. Um, I, I realize this, that um, the longer that I have been married, the longer I have been a, a, a father, the more you see about a person. You know what I'm saying? And, and I, I really do believe this. Um, I believe that when I was... When I first got married, I was just newlywed, honeymoon, everything is hunky-dory. There is nothing wrong in the world. And then all of a sudden, you start changing and jobs and schools and kids and stress and finances and stuff. And all of a sudden, something gets challenging a little bit. And what used to be infatuation hits a wall. And you go, oh, I, I liked you and loved you and stuff, but now we, we're going to have to have something more than this. And what happens on the other side of that struggle, learning to love somebody after infatuation, is something called intimacy. And it's so much better than infatuation. It's you really get to see everything about that person, and you still love them even more. And, and, and here's the thing. I think that when you're walking with God, I really believe in those early days, he kind of does make it easy sometimes for us to get started because he knows we wouldn't make it very long unless he didn't. But then something happens, you hit a wall and you go, this is difficult, this is challenging. He goes, keep coming, keep coming. It's even sweeter on this other side if you'll make it through. You got questions, you got doubts, you got things you're unsure of, good. Because the closer you get into him, the more glorious he's going to be, be held by you. You're going to see how incredible he is, and he's even worth more than you thought he was. And so, Father, tonight, as we think through and we walk away, I pray for my family here, that as we walk out of this room, we know what that doctrine is that we need to study next. That that thing that maybe has kind of been uncertain in our life, it's been vague and unestablished. It's not that we're going to say, you know what, in two weeks I'm going to have it all figured out, but we're going to say, Lord, if it's an issue about you, we want to be able to stand firm, doing our best, unashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. 
So God, would you give us wisdom? Would you give us guidance? Would you put the right people and the right resources in our path? Would you give us the diligence to work at it? And the more that we understand your truth, the more that we come to love you and the better we come to serve you. So God, would you just bless my family with that, um, that effort and desire tonight to push in and to know that we could teach everyone with all wisdom, uh, knowing everything that we can, doing our best to know you better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.